Let's go focused. Breathe. Now pull the thing up. Go, 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 go. Up. You've got it, Rorden. You've got it. Stand. Stand up. Very good, mate. Well, once again, some pretty good content for the Restricted podcast pre-show there, Rory. Yes, some very good content, Tom. Looking forward to that one coming to air. Uh, special guest Ron Jeremy will be on episode yes, one. Yes, Ron Jeremy. <laughs> I don't know anyone else, so I can't say anyone else. Uh, special guest Cameron, he'll be on there. Oh, yes. Very savvy in that department, Tom. <laughs> he'll have to uh, cover his ears when we um, broadcast yeah, the Restricted yeah. version. Yes. We can get Peter North on episode three, mm-hmm. talk about his diet of um, oysters. Ah, was he the he, yes. extensive uh, buckets. production? Buckets. Mm. Mm. Interesting. But this is the Clean Health Podcast Under yes. the Bar. My Very name's clean. Tom Hewitt. With me is Rawdon Dubois. And we've got a big show coming up. Mate, on this Tom, episode. could be one of our biggest. Could be very, very large. Our special guest on this episode is Damon Hayhow. He's a body recomposition specialist. Yes. He has a, a gym or a facility. Two of them. Called Recomp. Yep. And they specialize in... Recomposition. Yes, from a really uh, specific, detailed, scientific. scientific. They look at the math, they weigh it yep. all up, and they look at the science, the medicine, every aspect of it. He's yes. a real uh, a master of his art. Yes. And looking forward to getting his spin on what's involved in Recom- yep. recomposition of the body and a few other little things as well. So Very passionate about cardio. Loves a lot of it. We can ask him about that. Yeah, yeah. He's actually probably going to cut his uh, cardio short to, to make time for yes. us today. Yes. Yes. All right, so that's our special guest. We're going to wrap up the uh, Health and Fitness Expo. Rodan and I were down there with a lot of the Clean Health Tom, team. Fitness and Health Expo. Fitness and Health Expo, my mistake. That's okay. Down Big in weekend. Melbourne. Big weekend down there. As a result of a few things that happened while we were in Melbourne, mm, we're going to have mm. a look at injury on Ooh. the program today. The uh, the curse of the dreaded injury and weighing up the risk versus reward yes. of trying to Ma- take the human body beyond where it's actually designed to go. Mate, you were. Yes. I mean, not, not to give too much away. One of us did come away injured. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a look at intra-workout nutrition. There won't be anything too scientific in this yeah. segment, but basically off the back of a lot of the big guests that we've had on this show and their recommendations yep. for workout supplementation, Rodan and I have now been training for several months using hmm. a lot of those techniques, so we're in a position to give some sort of in-the-trenches yeah. perspective on how effective that system has been. Yeah, personally, and uh, obviously we talk about it with our clients to what we've done, but this will be you, you and I talking about what, what we think of it. Uh, and maybe a prelude to uh, uh, a guest we'll have coming up in the uh, in the coming weeks who's very anti, <laughs> anti uh, any uh, supplementation around. Not so much anti, but, but uh, money is better spent elsewhere mm. with uh, supplementation, yeah. Cam will take a flying run up and spin the under the bar wheel of fortune to give one lucky subscriber the chance to win a Clean Health podcast pack. Yep. And we'll have a little look at a cheeky little study, which is a bit related to the injury thing later yeah, on in the program. Yeah, just a snapshot, nothing detailed there. <laughs> well, you can see all the detail we've got there on the notes for ah, the expo. That's a blank sheet of paper. That's a blank sheet of paper. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll do it off the top right. of our heads. Yes, Freeballing. Mate. So we were down there in Melbourne for the, what was it again? The Fitness and Health Fitness Expo. Fitness and Health Expo. 2015. My mistake. I mean, expos are wonderful things. 
It's a, you, you, you do really enjoy those, don't you, Tom? Well, it's just a fantastic environment to be a part of. I yep. mean, uh, we're very fortunate, Rawdon, being in the industry. You know, like the general public, they come in and they've only really got a couple of hours to wander around and, and look at all the uh, we got the amazing of to wander around things on offer. Yes, but we had, uh, you know, three days consecutive back-to-back have been able to really <laughs> go around well, in yeah, depth. That's such a, a, a touch of sarcasm here, Tom. It was, uh, <laughs> it was three days of, of shenanigans down at the... Uh, the fitness and health expo but obviously uh clean health a big stand we did the fitness and health expo in sydney last year which was reasonably big clean health had a, a decent presence there and um but this year we went in all out had a, a huge stand down there and we had the clean health fitness institute that's coming up this year uh, a lot of interest there plus obviously all her uh personal training online training corporate packages etc etc so and you know the whole pretty much the whole team i think it was only a couple of guys the the, the schnitzel and uh floor shift uh back at the chpc yep to run the ship uh, and a couple of girls in admin but the rest of the crew were down there so massive turnout for clean health and um obviously uh, a massive success in that regard for the clean health's presence at the expo and generating interest in what we do back here in sydney you know with the potential of uh, a facility open up in melbourne at some stage i'm sure as, as dane uh, goes on to take on the world and obviously the the strength sport challenge where we had competitors qualify with their setting their one rep maxes on the the saturday and then competing on the sunday three lifts a high bar barbell back squat a muscle clean and press and then we had the the last movement was a strong traditional strong man i guess which was a, a farmer's carry um a mix of uh, movements that sort of crosses uh, quite a few different genres of, of athleticism so you know the the weightlifting guys the muscle clean and press uh the high bar back squat the, the strong man type competitors were very good at the farmers carry and, and the muscle clean and press and crossfitters, I guess, muscle clean, back squat, they're, they're similar movements for them. So Brad Soper, super coach at the CHPC, came up with the concept. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was very successful. Uh, and the finals were quite exciting. We, you and I, uh, and Dane, of course, emceed the event. But yeah, there's a lot, of, a big crowd and um, the finals were fantastic. Female heats uh, and uh, male heats on the Saturday and the finals on Sunday. So yeah. it, was, it was quite a, uh, it was good to be part of it. And it was, um, uh, quite a successful uh, venture for, for Clean Health and certainly Brad and all those involved. It was awesome. Yeah, congratulations to Brad Sober. He did end up winning the men's. He, he did. Funny that. Funny that. Designer, designer, designer so competition could win it. just yes. for himself. Go down there and win it. And uh, we had little Jess Curl from 5EW, which is a, a gym down in Melbourne, another performance centre. Jess Curl, she won the women's. Yep. It was interesting. So in the final, they had 15 minutes in the final. Uh, to complete as many rounds of those lifts as they can. So yeah. they set their 1RMs, then they take 80% of that weight for the finals. Yep. In the men's final, I think Brad got 12 rounds done. Yeah, so 12 rounds of a back squat, then into a muscle cleaner, then to the, the farmer's, farmer's carry, 15, minutes, 15 meters. Yep. And then, it, but in the women's, Jess, she got 19 rounds, yeah. so almost doing a round a minute. So it's, it's interesting. Incredible. Guys, a lot more muscle mass, lifting yeah. a heavier weight, Bigger. takes a, you know, more of a demand yep. on, on each effort where the girls. I mean, they were running between their mm. rounds. But they're very impressive. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, I spoke to Emily, operations manager down at Clean Health. She was competing as well. She qualified. Uh, and she had a bit of a game plan where she was relying on her strength endurance, the others fatiguing and 
Uh, Emily mm. starting a little bit slower, which was interesting to see different tactics. Uh, Jess was bull out of the gates, fast as you can, get as yeah. many rounds, bang, 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 bang. If she fatigues, she fatigues. Yeah. She'll deal with it. Whereas Emily played a bit more of a tactical game where, you know, she came out slow, got the movement pattern set up, and then got faster and faster as she progressed. But the yeah. timing was just off a little bit. She probably, you know, with a with a longer duration, I think Jess would have fatigued and Emily yes. would have had it. But yes. it was interesting. Yeah, Very it was exciting. Interesting. Exciting stuff. I mean, I will jump in there, Tom, and also say that uh, the Strength Sport Challenge will be coming to uh, uh, Sydney later in the year uh, when we have a fitness and health expo. Another expo. <laughs> Another expo for you, uh. to, for you to take part and enjoy yourself immensely <laughs> for three days, Tom. Yeah, later this year there will be a, a, another strength sport challenge. We'll obviously promote it on social media uh, through Clean Health and um, yeah, look forward to being part of that, Tom. It was interesting, Broaden. Pretty much every competitor in the Strength Sports Challenge was carrying some sort of niggling little injury. Yeah. By the time yeah. they got to the finals, they were, you know, they had the, the demo and then the heats and then the finals. So three days straight of doing some pretty heavy lifting. And yep. there was and there was tape out and back yep. niggles and sore knees and all sorts of stuff. Yep. And while we were down there on the Friday morning, you and I were training in Doherty's gym at Melbourne. We were. And, <laughs> we were. Having a cracker of a workout. Yeah. And uh, I basically did a, a subluxation of my left shoulder so uh, I get the MRI done tomorrow hopefully there's no surgery required doesn't, you, you doesn't book that in so MRI definitely that's, yeah, yes, that's booked in um, anyway it got us thinking about naturally about injuries yeah. and, and the nature of what we do I mean mine was just a stupid mistake but in terms of more chronic injuries that gradually over time you keep pushing the body and pushing the body yeah. as we do to try and achieve these either performance that exceeds what the body is designed to do or, yeah. or composition that the body is not really comfortable being in for extended periods of time we're really trying to take the body into a, into the unknown as a result of that there are i don't know anyone who hasn't had to deal with injury on some level yeah i mean me personally you spoke about the performance aspect and then the, i guess the composition aspect yes for, for where i'm sitting the composition aspect much less chance of injury more volume type training uh, and, and that's what I'm sort of have been doing of late. And to be honest, my injuries, which do rear their ugly head, <clears throat> be it hip, knee, uh, when I have toyed around with with the three big movements and you know my bench press, get up to 165 for the bench, uh, 210 back squat, you know raw, no no belt and no shoes. I can just wear my Raven slippers, as you know. Um, so some, some okay lifts, not 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 stupidly heavy by any stretch of imagination, but just working up to those and you know squatting, <coughs> excuse me, heavily multiple times a week and pressing. Mm. You know I had uh, horrific uh, elbow pain, so the tendonitis through the elbows from low bar squatting, uh, which affected my bench press and then the bench press, my shoulders were, you know, were, were sore through the through the pushing heavily uh, again multiple times a week and then, you know, obviously. Um, uh, deadlifting uh, will take its toll as well, you know, uh, lower back, uh, you know, hips type thing there as well. Well, lower, lower back for you, mate. Lower I mean. back, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I guess I wasn't in that last phase where I was squatting and benching. I didn't deadlift because I have um, a ruptured DSL 5S1. Um, so, yeah, I mean, deadlifting, definitely, that, that you know, ruptured disc there. And so, yeah, I'm on the side of caution with deadlifting, but, you know, I've, I've pulled 250 a couple of times you know, a few months ago, so the strength's still okay, but yeah, I tend not to deadlift super heavy too much 
uh, now. But yeah, injuries and even um, you know Brian, uh, resident uh, criminal lawyer down at the CHPC, you know considered bulletproof. You know do these uh, significant weights in powerlifting, and, and he's, he's been weightlifting with um, under the guidance of his work with Dane and also uh, Clockoff of late. Dimitri Klokov with weightlifting, but even he tweaked himself the other day, and his technique's quite good. But anytime you get near those maximal percentages, you know, closer to your one RM, there's always going to be a slight breakdown on form, and, and you can do all the accessory lifts and, and strengthen, uh, you know, lumbar erectors and yep. lower back, and do this and that, you know, shoulders, external rotation, and strengthen all the different parts that can try and uh, preempt any injury, so you can perhaps extend the <laughs> injury-free duration for a little longer, but. Yeah, I really just think it's uh, when any time you're performance oriented, it's just a matter of time before some niggling injury rears its ugly head, and and hopefully it's just not too bad, and you work around it and and, and change your training. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's just a matter of time. And so but yours was just a foolish. I mean, yours was just a, an error. You, you were just unlucky. Yeah, on a pretty old piece of equipment with a short rack. I've yep. got very long arms, and there was no yeah. mirror. And I went to re-rack a barbell from doing a shoulder press, and it Overhead, went yeah. over the top of the rack, and. Uh, well, you can imagine what happened after that. Yeah. Just pop the shoulder out. So, so when you did that, I guess we, we had a bit of a chat. So I mean, there were a couple of uh, significant things that, that occurred after that, I suppose, for me, for where I'm standing and our, let our listeners know, you're psychologically were quite uh, wind out of your sails. Initially, yeah, in shock, adrenaline felt sick. I said, it's okay, Tom, you know, you haven't not you gonna haven't pass out. You're not I gonna thought pass I was going to pass out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could see, see the white light coming. It did. I said, stay away from the light, Tom, stay <laughs> yeah. away. But you went and sat outside in the cool air and you, and you sort of came to. But I guess, it, but then after that, it was psychologically, it was really, and ever since then, let's be honest, you know, you got a hard time from the, from the other half, <laughs> the other night there, yes. saying snap out of it. And um, so the psychological, I guess, uh, it's interesting, the psychological aspect of, of when there's an injury, when mm. you're used to performing at a certain level and you can't, very, um, very hard to deal with. And then also um, what I think's worth mentioning, what we can talk about is, is what you actually do. Like the, there's a couple of different yes. methods that you can use to, when you do have an acute injury and um, we'll, we'll discuss those as well. Yeah, so I guess the traditional method has always been the, the rice. Which is? Rest, ice, compression and elevation. Okay. And over time, things get looked at and readdressed, and now there are some different methodologies in terms of the best way to treat an acute injury after it happens. Yeah. So they've got the uh, the meth method these days, Ooh. which is movement, elevation, traction, and heat. Mm. Pros and cons to both of them. I think with the, the rice method, one of the issues with applying ice to the, blood flow. to the area is blood flow. Well, not only do you minimize blood flow, but the lymphatic fluid that builds up with all the waste product from the injury mm. that system slows down as well so it, it slows the drainage of lymphatic mm. fluid away from the area also so i guess that like you said slow down i guess you're really essentially slowing down the process of healing correct yes so i guess that's where the the meth movement has become a little bit more popular so obviously you're getting a bit of heat into the area increasing blood flow which is yeah. rich in oxygen and yeah. stuff that, that has healing properties white to, blood to cells red blood cells all that sort of stuff exactly moving the joint through what little range you can promotes yep. a better sort of joint alignment yep. and uh, also movement reduces muscular atrophy as well yeah well i mean that's that's a biggie yeah if you're still yeah. moving you're still using your muscle to some degree and um i guess there's also the uh, studies that have shown uh, While well you are talking about that, injured limb, one side, uh, there is some carryover if you do train the, so say you got your leg in the cast, so if you do train the opposing leg, there is some carryover because the body likes nothing more than homeostasis. It doesn't really want 
you know, one really strong, powerful leg and one gimpy leg on the, on the other side. So yeah. for a short term, whenever you do have an injury, if you can get into the gym, it's a good idea to focus on working the other side of the body. Although you might look a bit funny on the doing a pistol squat with your leg in a cast. Yes. Pretty tricky. But all jokes aside, yeah, you can actually have some benefit on the, on the injured limb, but only for four to six weeks, a uh, short period of time. You wouldn't yeah. want to do it for months and months on end because then you will develop an imbalance and uh, and then you could run into all sorts of uh, you know injuries because the, the body is somewhat imbalanced so that's yeah. another thing you can think about if one side's injured don't you know completely give up do the do the meth yes because that seems to be the latest uh, for certain injuries of course but any sort of muscular tear or anything like that and then um and then i guess get into the gym and, and do what you can with the other side do the very best you can yes so the other thing that I did once it happened was I took anti-inflammatories and uh, they had quite a significant impact on the pain. Yep. Uh, but obviously with the anti-inflammatories, there's the, you don't want to sort of overdo that process as well. Yeah. Because they come with their, their gut problems as well. Yeah. Problems. So basically the way they work is they inhibit prostaglandins, which are like chemicals which cause inflammation and pain. But those same substrate of chemicals also have a role in protecting the lining of the stomach. Right. So you're actually, with the anti-inflammatories... You're doing both things, so you're yes. preventing development of stomach lining. That, that's where the issue can come right. with that over time. Yeah, because we, we hear, you know, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs to uh, only short-term because of uh, the stomach issues with that. But interesting, that's the reason. Yeah. So I guess in summary, mate, uh, when you have been injured, that mental thing, dealing with that, it's good to sort of talk to someone. Like, yeah. for me, it just couldn't have been worse timing because I was going to do a photo shoot yeah. in four weeks. Next week, I go to the Gold Coast for Andre's hypertrophy yes. camp, which I can't yeah. train at. Yeah, and you're at the expo, strutting around on display. You want to be, you know, fit, feeling strong. You know, feeling good, all that kind of stuff. So it was just, it couldn't be worse. But um, you know, I've spoken to a couple of guys around the gym. You know, Corey had yep. a broken collarbone and found ways to train around it. So I'll be training legs. I'll be training yep. one arm. I'll come up with some sort of yep. plan. And I spoke to you about nutrition. What what yep. I should be sort of looking at there because yep. I was a little bit lost in the woods with that one as well. Yeah, so yeah. what I actually did do last night was sit down and write a list of all the positives that could nice. come out of the scenario because we have spoken about this before you went to bed I before hope. I went to bed yeah to, to try and change the headspace it didn't work you still look miserable this morning <laughs> yeah. so maybe do it again tonight I'll and do it again we'll tonight there we go yeah increasingly difficult for my co-host to actually concentrate on what's going on here in the studio he's got that many little things on the boil many many things One needs lots of kills plans a b c d and e these days it's true gotta have the backup tom yes now mate you've been All doing right. some uh, some consultations and some education with a guy called menno henselmans yes and we're going to get him on the program in a, a couple of weeks time he's a bit of a myth buster in many ways in terms very science-based. Yes, he's from a he's from a statistics background, believe it or not, and he um, has a website called Bayesian Bodybuilding. And um, what he does well, statistically, basically, he crunches all the numbers, gets all the studies, all the research, and then filters out all the bullshit, and pretty much tells you what has actually been shown to work and, and what's a waste of time. And my impression of Menno is he's not necessarily saying, you know, don't do this. It's a, it's more that um, this hasn't been shown to work. So you know, you sort of decide whether you want to do it. There's not enough good research to show that it's yes that it's worked. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of the stuff he's uh, talking about, we we'll get him on onto the program, and uh, he can myth bust, um, much like Damon's going to bust a few myths for us uh, coming up later on the program. Yes. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, really interesting. But one of his that uh, that he has posted up of late, um, 
was basically BCAA supplementation, which has generally been a, a staple of anyone that goes to the gym, you see them slurping away on some sort of amino acid drink. And the latest research that, that he sort of, uh, I guess, been behind or pushed is, is, is shown that you know, they do very little for increasing muscle protein synthesis or you know, lean gains, um, even when you're fasted, et cetera, et cetera. So the, I guess the, the reasons that, that you and I, the uh, Miloses, the Meadows of the world, will, will sort of uh, recommend branched-chain amino acids, so leucine, isoleucine, and valine as a combination. So it's, uh, I, don't, I don't tell the guys and girls to just use uh, uh, branch chains. It will be a mix of branch chains and essentials. Yes. Get the full amino acid profile. But um, basically saying that, that, that they haven't actually been shown to have any significant benefit and, and your money is better to, uh, spent elsewhere. Yes. You know what I mean? So that prompted us to really, I guess, have a look at what's been happening with us in the trenches in terms yeah. of our workout supplementation because anyone who's listened to the previous episodes of the podcast, they would have heard Milos Archev, Mountain yep. Dog Meadows, yep. uh, Christian Thibodeau, Chippy Toes, all these guys talking about the importance of... I think even Andre, didn't he mention he likes a bit of uh, supplementation? Well, it's certainly, I mean, I've been using that as part yeah. of part of my program, so uh, pre-inter and post... Pollock, big fan of it. Post-workout carbohydrates, so... And all these guys can't be wrong. I mean, you look at the results they get for their clients and the, the physiques they carry themselves. You know, yeah, there's exactly. obviously something going on. So you and I have been training with these methods for several months now. Yeah. And uh, I can certainly say from my perspective, I have noticed a significant difference in training capacity and and also hypertrophy. I mean, yeah. looking at my, my bio-sigs and the photos that I've taken along the, <laughs> along the way, over the yeah. last one, I... I had actually put on some muscle. Yeah, put on like you a, did. Had about eleven hundred grams of, of mass, and not, I was not a kilo. Eleven hundred grams. Eleven hundred grams. Much. Well, because I mean, I would just take a hundred grams in the park. <laughs> got a stage where I couldn't do anything to grow. Yes, and that was the big variable. Yeah, I guess for you that was the, that was a, a for you that was something that you hadn't delved into, structured wise, yes. consistent wise. And I guess that was the fundamental nutritional changes there too, but. But that was, I would say, looking at your nutrition, uh, new nutrition uh, programming and supplementation, that was the big difference, wasn't it? That was the big variable, yeah. Mm. So 40 to 60 minutes before I'd train, there'd be a, a, a shake and some carbohydrates. Some sort of date. Some sort of medjool date, so I get, get a few nice... And they're nice, folks. If you haven't had one of those, go chomp a few of those down. Yeah. Very more Moorish. Very Moorish. Very Moorish. Um, so training energy to be good as well. Yep. You know, there was no... You weren't hungry. You were ready. Yep. A few amino acids and a few um, sugars in the bloodstream yep. before you actually start training. So yep. that's going around 50 grams of carbohydrates while I'm training and then yep. 100 grams of carbohydrates in the post-workout shake and then carbs and subsequent meals. And yeah. then over that period of time, like I said, 1,100 grams of mass. My body fat was at 7.2, so I didn't get fat yeah. on that... On, on the biosig, yep. On that protocol. So... Um, you know, I found it to be really effective, and yeah. I think even even though the training volume was high, if I was to, to subsequently drop down to a lower volume or functional hypertrophy or relative strength training with lower repetitions, I would still use a similar protocol, but just a decrease in the quantity yeah. of carbohydrates yeah, used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so also in that intra-workout shake, uh, like Milos and Meadows have been on about, there was the, obviously some sort of carbohydrate, yep. essential amino acids, or even yep. a, a little bit of whey protein, yeah, great. Um, creatine, electrolytes, yep. all the good stuff. Whatever you can jam into the muscle cell uh, yeah. while you're training, I, um, I've been using that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess for myself personally, Tom, yeah, I mean, you, you know, I've, I've looking 
reasonably You're enormous, uh, mate. You're, what are you about 105 kilos now? <laughs> well, yeah, 103, three and a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it was interesting. The big difference for me, and you probably agree with this, and anyone that's listening will probably attest to this too. It's uh, the ability to back up workout after workout after workout. I think Meadows really speaks speaks about that too, and really has that as a point of difference when the guys do supplement and girls supplement. Uh, amino acids and, and, and carbohydrates around training, you can back up that brutal mountain dog style, Miller style, Benoit style program with a, another equally tough program the next day. Yeah. You know, really uh, go through the motions again. Like you say, you the process is there, you're, you're, you're feeling good, your energy's good, you're not hungry, and you're driving hard. And psychologically, you know, I talk about this all the time, okay, you know, amino acids uh, might uh, be shown not to increase muscle proteins at that point in time, but but like I said, if you're training and you have a nice, you know, sweet amino acid drink and it just makes the whole process, you know, you train that little bit harder, and even if it is somewhat of a placebo, you know, then... <laughs> It, it, the end result is you're breaking more muscle tissue down, you're going to have more muscle protein systems, you're going to grow more. But um, I spoke to uh, James Kant, IFBB Pro uh, Physique athlete, first IFBB Pro Physique in, uh, in Australia. And I said to him, and he now he's from a medical science background, he's he's reasonably savvy with all the latest research. He's often asking me stuff, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know that, I'll, I'll go look into it. And he's telling me things to research, and, and really loves the, the science behind everything. And, and he's sort of... Um, even him with his scientific mind and analytic mind sort of scoffed and said, well, man, I, I know when I don't have amino acids, like, next day I'm I'm spent. Like, I, I just can't train hard the next day. And he really notices the recovery. So for him, it's a it's a massive deal as well. So, you know, I guess uh, the study was, you know, that showed this, was it, uh, you know, were they training at a, you know, an intensity that, that, that does warrant muscle protein? Maybe the, yes. the training intensity was down. Um, but it all comes back to training intensity training volume you know the length of the workout there are lots of variables other than just um you know going through the motions and lifting weights sure in that scenario probably not going to have a significant benefit but when you really turn up the wick on the training volume and intensity and you, you are doing a significant workout and you actually know how to train hard know how to recruit the muscle then i, then I do think um the uh, nutrient timing makes a big difference and that's where pre and post will really pay dividends and we know actually for a fact that that there is some, and this is what the the anabolic window, that whole uh, hypothesis where you got to get it in within an hour of training, you mm. know, that the, the window closes, you, you know, muscle protein synthesis, well, no, they, they've shown that it, the muscle protein synthesis window occurs for much longer, you know, I think it's 8 to 12 hours or something, you know, significant yeah. anyway, so point being is if you don't get protein in straight away, within that period, as long as you get protein in thereafter, you're going to be sweet. Yep. Um, but it's that glycogen resynthesis where yes. it is significant and, and if you are going to back up a, a volume workout the following day and you want to load those glycogen stores then you really do need to um, to get those carbohydrates in in that window because yes. that that's when the, the nutrient partitioning i.e. the carbohydrates go where you want them into the muscle not into adipose tissue that's when that's going to occur more readily yes, workout. so there is some uh, need for getting nutrients in post-workout yes. the protein yeah that's part of that way whatever fast digesting but it's the carbohydrates that are significant post-workout and you can see where the confusion about the anabolic window yeah. arises when you look at that because we're looking at two basically two different windows yes there's the protein window and that that's window stays open for a much longer period of time but in yep. terms of 
pure glycogen, getting that into the muscle cell, yep. then the quicker the better. Yeah, yeah, when those GLUT4 uh, in the muscles, uh, the, the uh, insulin receptors, everything's working harmoniously and you can get the, the glycogen into the muscle cells, yeah. So that's our wrap, and that's our yeah. spin on intra-workout nutrition. So we, we, uh, we, give, it we, we, we give it the thumbs up. But, no, uh, no doubt in two weeks' time when uh, Menno Henselman comes on, we'll go, we'll, oh, yes, 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 of course. We'll change yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no amino acids. Yeah, none for us. <laughs>
56 kilos when I started training and, uh, and, and every little bit came very, very, very tough. And it, um, it didn't take very long to realize that, uh, you know, cable crossovers and squeezing the muscle really wasn't cutting it. Yeah. And uh, second to that was the fact that I was fortunate enough to start in a, in a world gym um, back in the day when gyms were gyms. I don't know if you remember that, guys. Well, uh, I, I do. I do, Damon. Because where blokes with muscles went and lifted heavy stuff rather <laughs> than um, wore spandex and, and squeezed and, and posed in the mirrors. Yeah. Yep. But uh, it, it was very obvious there that the very, very big guys lift very, very heavy things and the uh, littler guys like myself just couldn't. And in order to be like those very, very big guys, you'd probably need to become capable of what they were capable of doing. Mm. Um, and that's that sort of the underpinnings of it. So it became less and less sensible as time went on as well that the, the whole idea of doing a high volume of work when you're trying to lift maximum poundage, it's, it's just not possible. It's a, it's a contradiction in every, every way, shape and form. And so, you know, it was just a, a case of when you, when you lift really hard balls to the wall, you just can't do much, you know? If, yep. uh, if I do a 50 rep set of leg presses with 400 kilos and then spend the next 15 minutes vomiting in the toilet, coming back out and backing that up with three more sets and then doing squats and then doing all the rest of it, it just wasn't going to happen. And when I didn't do, when I didn't try doing that, you'd come back the next time you lift more weight, your legs would grow, everything would be good. When you tried doing more and more work, then you just break down, burn out, get weaker, um, okay. so on and so forth. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the simple yes. background yes. things. And so that was something that you sort of developed intuitively. You knew that worked for you. How did you then go into the science of it all and put this into a system which you can then apply to your clients to come in and see you? Well, anything, it was just critical thinking. I mean, I did a lot of reading from, from the time I started training. Um, I was taking myself to Monash Medical Library here in Melbourne and, and, uh, and poring over the text and trying to find the secret because, you know, everybody's looking for that that secret. There's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a reason that the body will just grow oodles and oodles of muscle with no effort whatsoever in no time whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> a magic potion. amount of food. And, and you're convinced that there's got to be the secret ingredient or trick. And uh, after many, many years of that, there was kind of one of those eureka moments where you just go, oh my God, lift really heavy stuff and eat lots of food and you become big. <laughs> second, isn't that what the dumb meathead said to me on day one? Yes, it is. And it's and and that's the thing is that through critical thinking in math, all the answers that you need become readily apparent. You don't need to know the biochemistry of the body because at the end of the day, even if you were so amazingly profoundly intelligent and knowledgeable and insightful and you could actually measure and predict every single biochemical process taking and taking place inside the body every second of the day and what the net outcome would be even if you could do that the only thing that you could affect would be the food you stick down your neck and the weight you put on the bar anyway yes mm. and, and so everybody's got their heads stuck up their backsides trying to figure out literally what's going on inside and at the same time, not measuring the weight they put on the bar and the food they stick down their neck. Yes. But the stuff we can, the only stuff we can affect is the stuff we can so easily measure. Yeah. Why aren't you measuring the stuff that you can measure and matters whilst worrying about all the stuff that you can't measure and doesn't matter? 
So, yeah, yeah, Damien. So with Recomp, um, well, let's go into a little bit more detail specifically with with Recomp, I guess, and the systems. You and I have talked about this, and you know, I've got to tell the listener every time I, you and I do talk, I love it, and it's it's, it's so addictive. We could talk all day about about uh, training and uh, all that sort of stuff. But for our listeners, so the concept of Recomp is. Yes, okay, nutritionally, we can manipulate that variable. We've got ultimate control over that. Like you said, what goes down your gob. And then the... The the, the thing about Recomp is worrying about measuring what you can actually measure and affect. Yes. It really comes down to goal setting 101, right? Right. It's make your goals measurable, timely, and specific. So you want to weigh yourself today and do a body fat test Let's say you're 100 kilos, 10% fat. That means you've got 10 kilos of fat, 90 kilos of muscle. Yep. You want to be 120 kilos at 5% fat. That means you'll have 6 kilos of fat and 112 kilos of muscle. Therefore, you need to put on 22 kilos of muscle, drop 4 kilos of fat. That's what we've got to try to achieve. We've measured it and we've actually quantified it. Now it's a process of doing your training and diet and re-measuring every week. Am I stepping towards what my goal is? Yep. If not, make logical change. If so, fantastic, keep doing it. The two variables that matter are the diet and the training. We know that if we're massively more muscular than we are now, we must be stronger. Therefore, we need to measure our training and actually see that we are making strength progress week on week on week. If your strength's not going up, you cannot be gaining muscle. Therefore, change your training. Yep. Yep. And similarly, if the goal is to go from 100 to 120, your diet is the thing that's going to determine that. If your weight isn't going up, stick more food down your neck. If your weight isn't going down, <laughs> maybe eat less, maybe not. That becomes a complicated one. But uh, yeah, those are the only two variables that you can play with. So measure those things and make logical changes. Okay. Okay, so um, obviously we've got the, an overview of the recomp, so we lift heavy loads and it increases. You obviously have uh, increments that you need to achieve week to week. Um, so I guess talking about the hypertrophy in the world of bodybuilding or body composition, they talk about sarcoplasmic, myofibular. So you're, uh, we've spoken about this and sarcoplasmic, as far as you're concerned, is, is not worth discussing uh, and it's a myofibular uh, hypertrophy. Do you want to just sort of elaborate on that Uh, because that's essentially what we're trying to uh, achieve with uh, obviously lifting the heavier load over time. Yeah look I I guess it's it's that I try to look at it backward rather than uh, getting bogged down in the process by which it happens. So again going back to what I was just saying if we're talking about say becoming a professional bodybuilder and you're a skinny dude right now the one thing that you know about that greater level of muscle mass is that you must be able to lift more than you can currently. Yep. If mm-hmm. your weights aren't going up, your training is not working. The only thing to train for is for the weights to go up. If you're talking about uh, you know, doing the weights for a mechanical effect to push certain substances through your muscles that you added to them, it's just a completely different argument. You're now not talking about, I mean, the training then doesn't really matter all that much, does it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, we know what we're trying to do. We're trying to move the muscle and blah, blah, blah. Who, who cares how? Um, if, if we're actually talking about the sophistication of the training, then the thing that you've got to be measuring is, am I making progress? If your strength is the same every single week, if you can't lift more than last week, 
well, what are you doing? Maybe you are stuffing your muscles full of fluid and nutrients. That's going to disappear as soon as you take the nutrients, the substances, or the fluid away. Uh, and, and that's what I've always said about the sarcoplasmic type growth is, yes, it's real. Yes, the fascial stretching can lead to real tissue growth. When it does, though, your strength increases. Yeah, right. I see. So, so again, we're back to the same argument of if your strength isn't going up, it means that you can't be growing real muscle tissue. Okay. Right, right. So even if you were, sorry, Tom. Yeah. So even if you were focusing on uh, sarcoplasmic or trying to elicit that type of growth, uh, fundamentally, if if it is significant growth or long-term growth, you will still you will still see an increase on the bar. Um, otherwise, it's you're not achieving it. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Having said that. Yes, I know the other arguments, which are the, the practical realities of the fact that if the sodium pump is working particularly hard because you are forcing it to do so, and I think you know what I'm talking about, mm. um, then you can get to that point where lifting weights is, is almost a physical impossibility because because the pump is literally so great that you can't yeah. Different argument, and it still doesn't change the fact that somewhere down the track, you've got to wind up stronger than you were. I mean, mm. even muscle that's just syntholed into growth. Yes. When when they back off on the on the synthol use, the muscle is ridiculously stronger, yeah, and that's okay. when tendons break off and things because the because you know everything hasn't actually been trained, but they have actually caused myofibrillar my, uh, uh, growth right. um, through that fascial stretching process. Just make a um, note there, Tom. Synthol <laughs> muscle growth. Got it. Sorry, yeah. mate. Just made a few notes there on my pad. Nice. Good. <laughs> So, Damien, if someone has been through a significant phase of, of high-volume training and they're filling the muscle cell with all these energy substrates, glycogen and, and fluid and all that kind of stuff, they've achieved this cell swelling, is there any way to then consolidate those gains by, by moving into more you know, myofibrillar-style training and, and lifting heavier loads, or, or are they really two separate things in their own right? It's, it's more that case of, as you know, the, the sarcoplasmic growth that you've generated is temporary. Mm, yes. It, it, it is by definition. Uh, you're talking about fluid and substrates trapped in the muscle. You drop your calories or your substances down, well, it's all going to disappear and you're going to be left with the, the raw uh, muscle fiber that was there before. Bef- yes. Uh, now, to what extent is a normally hydrated muscle? That's just another academic debate. but. Yeah. The point is is that you're still left with the amount of muscle that you're left with. Does that mean that it's impossible to grow muscle through the sarcoplasmic swelling, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? No, not at all. It, it happens to a massive extent. Mm. Um, and that's my argument to most guys with their training as well, is that when you look at guys like uh, any of the, the top pro bodybuilders, many of these guys are unbelievably lazy in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> many are. We've many talked are. about this, yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're not capable of absolutely superhuman feats of strength. Yes. The strength's there. If you're one of those lucky people who can get massive and strong by accident while training to not achieve that, well, you're probably not really interested in anything that I have to say. Yes. Flex wheeler. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But for everybody else who's struggling to become like these guys, who's training like these guys, who's not getting stronger and who's failing to get any of that kind of growth the simple answer is well guys look at your training you aren't gaining strength therefore it's not working end of discussion it's not working yes Yes. okay and there's a hell of a lot more of those guys out there than there are pro bodybuilders walking (laughs) around who got massive and strong through 
swelling. Yes, yeah. this is true. So, Damon, if we sort of take a step back then and have a look at the, I guess, the, the body composition equation that underpins your system. So you say food determines total body weight, strength determines lean mass, and then fat makes up the difference. Yep. So in the process of enhancing body composition, so you don't look at it from the stance of let's burn fat. No. So you're looking at increasing lean muscle mass and controlling fat with the food that you, that you eat. So can you actually build muscle and burn fat at the same time? Yeah, of course. Oh, How do you do like that? <laughs> the goose that laid the golden the egg. egg. Yes. Keep going, Damon. Um, it's... So basically what I'm saying is if, if you're lifting heavier loads but you're in a caloric deficit, is it still possible to, to grow new muscle fibre? You're not. This is... Uh, I, I guess this is the thing, is to, to change the equation altogether and what, what you're focusing on. Remember, most of the... Uh, the fitness industry, the information comes from a health perspective. Um, yes. You've got to look where funding comes from comes from for research. And the, the basic fact is no one gives a shit about bodybuilding. Yes. They just don't. They care about sports performance and they care about health and sick people. And these are the two areas that we, where you get it. The whole idea of wasting away the body that you hate is is a health model it's uh if you've neglected and abused yourself into obesity then you need a relative caloric deficit compared to the horrendous quantities of crap that you were eating in order to try to lose that weight mm -hmm. that weight there's no design behind that we don't really care what it is it's water it's muscle it's fat who cares it's weight get rid of it it's a dumb fix for dumb people to get back to mediocrity mm. now bodybuilding should fit in the domain of athlete development and like I said any other goal the way you would look at it is you would look at the end point and you would work backwards if you want to make a million dollars you go I want to make a million dollars in two years then you work backwards to how much you need to make each month each week etc 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 that's how you work out how to do it you don't just go I'm gonna to go to McDonald's and I'm gonna work harder that would be a really dumb way to try to make a million dollars Cardio and caloric deficits are the same things. What you want to do is look at the end point. Go, where am I trying to get to? What is the body that I want? How much does it weigh? What's its body fat percentage? Therefore, how much muscle does it have? And how much stronger than I am currently will that be? It's then a case of you train for the strength, you eat for the weight. Mm. And your fat will always be that percentage of you that's not lean mass. That's just math. So in, in essence, what we're saying is, if you want to look at, a, at, a, at a, a simple example, imagine a guy who's 100 kilos, 30% fat, right? Sedentary guy hasn't done anything. It's very, very easy for him to eat to maintain his 100 kilos, start going to the gym and gain lots of strength and muscle. Mm. He's getting leaner while he builds muscle. Yes. This is this body recomposition thing. Everyone who says, yes, but that's on, that only works in a fat person is ignoring the fact that the physiology is obviously possible. They just failed to do it beyond a certain point. Right. So can you achieve that same sort of progress in already well-trained individual? Absolutely. We do it every day. That's what we do. Yeah. The, the thing is, is that you need to... You need to be measuring and planning everything for yes. what's relevant. And what's relevant is... We know that if the strength isn't going up in the gym, we, 
can't be growing muscle. Yep. And we know that diet is the thing that that controls our body weight. So we need to be measuring and eating exactly the same quantities of exactly the same foods every single day. We then measure the body composition at the end of the week so we can go, this diet gave us this result. Then you can make a logical adjustment to it. Mm. On, on that basis, I mean, that's pure science. Eliminate all other variables. Mm. I'm not a big fan of pre-post-workout carbs and, and uh, intra-workout supplementation and all the rest of it either. Yes. Why? Because I'm throwing another variable into the equation that now makes me completely ignorant about everything else. Yeah. So when I get to the end of the week, let's say I trained four days, I took three days off. Four days per week, I dumped another 150 grams of sugar in my mouth. Three days, I didn't. I didn't get the result that I want. Was the problem the sugar or the whole diet? I don't know. I've now yeah. got two variables. I'm now completely ignorant about both of them. That, that's why the essence of science is always eliminate all other variables. Yes, just the one that you can control for. Yes, yes. So, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask uh, for your take on, because um, we did talk uh, previously on the, the podcast about uh, <laughs> the pre and intra, how we said... <laughs> and uh, how successful it's how been successful, for us. And we said we're going to you know, backpedal when we talk to Damon <laughs> Sorry, or, or yeah. someone else. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so why don't we just quickly, while you, you mentioned supplementation, are there any supplements that you do like to use or is it more you solely focus on the, the weights that we're lifting, the movements in the gym, and then the, the calories or the nutrition uh, relevant to what you got? is um, I mean me me personally I guess from a from a from a recomp methodology point of view the recomp isn't saying uh, this is the diet that works or the training that works from a personal point of view uh, I like protein powder um, yep. it's convenient it's inexpensive uh, and it's easier to get in than even more meat than I already eat every single day and most people find the same sort of thing yep. uh, mm -hmm. do you need it no you don't need anything yeah um, it's it's a case of measuring and testing everything and in terms of supplements I find that uh, switching people on to uh, very high carb diets which um, I, I tend to do quite often because so many people have been on such low carb diets that they're just broken and they need to get back to normal glucose metabolism. Yep. Um, ALA is unbelievably effective. And okay. when I say that, I don't mean from a esoteric kind of guesswork kind of way. I mean, people go from bloated, lethargic, wanting to kill themselves, energy roller coaster, to absolutely feeling fine within one tablet when they start ALA on a high carb diet. It's remarkable the difference. Yeah, alpha poic acid, yeah. Alpha um, acid, yeah. Someone else mentioned that. I know, don't care. Uh, John Meadows, yeah, John Meadows mentioned it. He, he, he loves the alpha lipoic acid. What about while you're talking about that chromium? Do you, do you rate chromium in the same regard? I don't. Never found any kind of subjective or measurable um, you know, benefit or, or anything from it. Looks yeah. good on paper, but... Uh, yeah didn't really do anything for me like I say we measure everything and just go yeah. Meh, maybe it does maybe it doesn't but we certainly okay. can't can't tell um, okay. uh, creatine uh, yep. I'm quite a big fan of not for the reason most people do um, it, it doesn't seem to uh, the way we train people um, it doesn't it doesn't seem to make any kind of ridiculous difference to their performances in the gym or, or anything else like that but again on a carb diet where it where it's slightly more appropriate it does seem to strongly prevent fat gain on guys really pushing the calories up to push the weight on okay uh, okay it's, it's it's very effective for that 
um, to the to the point of take it out and watch the fat start to creep up a little bit, put it back in and see it stop again. It's interesting. By what mechanism of that, yeah. Damon? Do you know what's happening there, or? Like I say, I, I don't pretend to know about mechanisms because oh. I can't measure them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just noted, yeah, interesting. Uh, theoretically, I think it's just the, the general nutrient partitioning effect. It's just a more efficient um, utilization of substrates and whenever you're, yeah. whenever you're drawing water and fluid into the muscle, then you draw everything else in with it. That's always been the way creatine appeared to work. Yep, yep. All right, so whey, ALA, creatine, uh, anything at caffeine? Are you a fan of caffeine, caffeine pre-workout? I, I'm I'm a, I'm a coffee snob, you know. I, I love my my coffee. Melbourne uh, <laughs> You and me both, brother. Yeah. Have a good coffee go. anytime. Uh, sure as hell wouldn't be um, paying any Americans a hundred dollars for oh. a cup of uh, over sweetened, over coloured oh. powder. That's a cheap trick. Niacin and caffeine, and make people scratch their faces and go, "I feel <laughs> so good." Yes, yes, pretty workout, lovely. Right, Adam. Why don't we move on to the cardio aspect of things then? So. The bodybuilding community would go on ad nauseum about the necessity for cardio in terms of stripping body fat, and I know that's certainly not the way you approach it. Maybe explain why that is. It comes back to the to the whole philosophy of training to become the athlete that you're hoping to be. And this even goes all the way through to nutrition. The body is an adaptive organism. It adjusts itself to do the things that it's it's asked to do. If I'm wanting to become the most exceptional strength athlete that I possibly can, why the hell would I train to be in a bad endurance athlete? Yes. And, and that's what cardio is. You know, you get these guys going, no, it's cardio, it's burning fat. I go, dude, you walk you you walk on a treadmill for two hours a day, seven days per week. You're training to be a walker. Yes. <laughs> but is it burning fat, Damon? That's what I want to know, mate. Am I burning fat when I get on that cross trainer? Well, who knows? But I mean, the question I'd have for anyone who says that is, what are you burning right now? Yes. And if, and if you don't know what you're burning for the other 160 hours per week, then why are you getting all antsy about what you might be burning during those few hours that you spend on the treadmill? Okay. You've got no idea what's going on inside your body. So it doesn't change the fact that whether or not you were burning fat during that period that you were doing it, it doesn't change the fact that you're still training to be a crappy endurance athlete. Yeah. That's what you're training for. Okay. And combined with that, the most bodybuilders drop all of their weights back and keep training to be as weak as they possibly can. Yeah. Most guys wonder why they need to lose 20 kilos of muscle to lose two kilos of fat to stand on stage. <laughs> yeah. Well, you trained to lose 20 kilos of muscle, dickhead. <laughs> Excuse well, me. Well, <laughs> All right, so um, obviously cardio is not the thing. So say uh, I come to see you, like you said, 100 kilos, uh, 30% body fat. So what would be the process, just uh, a snapshot of nutritionally where you would, like how would the process of fat loss occur? Obviously the training, okay, we're going to focus on building building muscle and then that's going to, more muscle, higher metabolic rate, that's going to strip the fat. Like like what's, what's the mechanism by which the fat will come off me? The mechanism is, is that it's always happening anyway. To, to draw an analogy, the eardrums that we are using to listen to each other right now are not the eardrums that we had six months ago. Every cell has been replaced. Yes, yes, yes. When were those cells replaced? How were they replaced? By what mechanism were they replaced? Who, who the hell knows? I've got no idea. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you worried about your hearing failing you in six months from now because maybe you did the wrong exercise or you didn't have the right nutrients in your diet? Uh, I'm not. 
Yeah. I'm just going to take it for granted that my ears are going to work. I don't so, know how yeah. they renew. I don't care. This and is, it's the same thing with fat and everything else going on inside your body. We've got this obsession with how and when does the fat burn. You go, well, how and when did the muscle grow? Because that's a shitload more complicated. Mm. No one can answer that question. So why are we trying to uh, worry about these things that you can't affect it anyway? Because at the end of the day, after all of this, it comes back to what I said at the start, after all of this worry about the mechanisms by which the body works, it doesn't change the choices that you can make. And those choices are, you can go, well, cardio burns fat, but it's still training to be a bad endurance athlete. Mm -hmm. And from a personal standpoint of a naturally weak and skinny guy who struggles to put the muscle on, I'll tell you I lose muscle hand over fist as soon as yeah. I start training to be a bad endurance athlete. Mm, yes. It just happens. So every, and it's math. It's irrefutable. Every kilo of muscle that you lose right. is a kilo fatter that you are at any given body weight. Mm. Okay. okay. So we're looking at the body as an adaptive organism and, and there's this process of cellular turnover, whether it's an eardrum cell or a muscle cell. So if you're training the body like a strength athlete, then you will eventually evolve into a strength athlete. Leaner, yep. stronger. But, so do you count the calories that you're using with your clients? Absolutely, because right. we've got to measure the nutrition as 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 that uh, as a variable. It's one of the things that we're putting into their into them into their bodies. So we've got a uh, a sports nutrition based calculation for calories, which is yep. based on grams of protein per pound of uh, lean mass, uh, making up thirty percent of calories. Um, and we start at usually with people a 120 to 150 percent of minimum calories so we're starting always from a proactive stance of mm. building the body that we want not killing the body that we hate okay. and that's the difference between the whole cardio low calorie me uh, okay. mentality and our mentality so uh, basically it, you're saying okay we'll, we'll give you a surplus we'll grow muscle and then by default your it's not surplus because the thing, the, the the great paradox with uh, with you know uh, metabolism, metabolic rate, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is it's determined by the food that you eat. So people go, you've got a basal metabolic rate. No, you don't. Your basal metabolic rate is based on whatever it is that you eat. So if you eat 500 calories per day, you won't die. Your body will just adapt to run on 500 calories per day. Right. If you're okay. running on 500 yep. calories per day, and that's your and and you're maintaining weight. Guess what? Your basal metabolic rate is 500 calories per day. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. it's okay. an adaptive process. I personally run on about 4,000 calories per day. If I eat less than that, I tend to start losing weight hand over fist. It happens very very quickly. So, How so did I get there? because I ate consistently the same quantities of the same foods every single day for a period of time and my right. body became very efficient or inefficient at using it depending on your perspective um, and, and that's what happens. So our goal with people is to get them running on as much food as possible as they develop into more of an athlete. It's the process that you have to follow. So this, this uh, I was going to say before, that 100 kilo 30% guy, let's say he wants to get down to 10% at 100 kilos still. Yep. Reframe the problem. He's 70% lean mass. He wants to get up to 90% lean mass. 20 kilos, yeah. Right? 
would you tell me that the best way to go from 70% lean mass to 90% lean mass is to go walking on a treadmill and drop your calories? Well, it depends if he was uh, an endurance athlete, then it'd be perfectly fine. <laughs> no, perfectly no, fine. Is, is the best way to, be, to go yes. from 70% lean mass up to 90% lean mass, yeah. walk on a treadmill and eating low calories? Yeah, yeah yes. you have to grow muscle, yes. That's right. Yeah. Going from 70 to 90% lean mass is the same as going from 30 to 10% okay. body fat. It's just as soon as you look at it the other way around, you go, gee, all of those yeah, other yeah, things yeah. would be really stupid. Okay, so it's, it's about perspective. You sort of look at it from a different yeah. angle. I love that. What about, um, just while we're talking about putting on muscle mass, uh, often gets thrown around. You can only put you know two kilos on a year for a natural athlete. That's very good. What sort of growth uh, have you seen using your systems in, say, a six to 12-month period? You know, Is it possible to put these 10, 12 kilos on in that, that uh, length of time? Oh, easy, 10, 12, yeah, that's nothing. I just had a client actually, uh, he put on 2.8 kilos of lean mass and dropped 3.5 kilos of fat mass in one month. <laughs> and he didn't train. I see. All right. <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's not how incredible anything I did was. That was how utterly atrocious and disgusting yes. he was beforehand yeah, right. yeah, um, yeah, you know he he was completely sedentary he actually took up uh, some kind of dancing like salsa or something like that okay. and you know the diet was he ate nothing for breakfast and then he had a coffee and a muffin for lunch and then he had some awful disgusting takeout Indian <laughs> food for lunch uh, and then another coffee in the afternoon and more awful you know take away Chinese or something for dinner every mm. single day of the week mm. and Sounds he tasty. was 27 uh, odd percent body fat and just by cleaning his diet right out and it was mm. a diet designed to do with a training program he just didn't train um, <laughs> and, and yeah he came back a month later and I'm just like man that's just an incredible month yes. how did you do when you train why are none of your workouts in here because I didn't train Interesting. Fascinating. Well, while you're with such venom, you're talking about these, uh, you know, takeaway meals. What's your, uh, with the recomp and the nutrition for your your clients running through recomp? What's your take on on the cheap meals, refeed meals, that sort of stuff? Do you uh, are they okay at times, or do you feel it's uh, you know sets you back a couple of steps, one step forward, two steps back with the cheap meals? But my my take on it from a from a recomp method point of view is you just threw a variable into the equation that means now you can't actually determine what did what. Yes. Mm. That's it. It's not going, you know, if you eat a pizza, are you suddenly going to get fat? Of course you're not going to get fat suddenly. Yeah. Um, but if uh, if you ate everything you were supposed to eat, same quantity, same foods every single day, and then you threw a pizza and at the end of the week you didn't get the result you wanted in your body composition, yep. was it diet that failed or did the pizza do it? Yes. You don't know. <laughs> you must have incredibly compliant test subjects, I'd almost call them, beyond yes. the client. We actually, yeah, they are because, I mean, the thing is they come to us, they pay us a chunk of money and I go, you know, I don't wake up with your ass in the morning. I don't care with you. <laughs> so, you know, if you eat the food, at the end of the week we measure you and we'll tell you whether it works. If you don't, then I won't be able to tell you. Yeah. I don't care one way or the other. Why I use with all my clients, I'm your accountant, not your father. Yes, yes. You make, you make your decisions and, and, and we make the decisions based off the data that we've got. Um, right. The people who are compliant, 
things move well and we can make intelligent decisions to keep them moving yeah. because we keep on measuring, making a change, measuring, making a change. Yep. The people who just aren't that serious, well, they were never going to succeed anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's just and the you, reality. You're not waking up with their ass. I'm not waking up with their ass. <laughs> <laughs> I will also point out, uh, just for our listener, you and I had a conversation and it was, uh, we are talking about... Um, you know how I guess uh, bodybuilding is a you know we look at it as a, a an athletics uh, penultimate uh, physical uh, sport I guess and how all other sports are encouraged and you know you're you're 15 16 and and you want to play tennis and it's like yes you know there's the tennis coach you support support sport and then uh, the 15 16 year old oh, I want to go to the gym and be a bodybuilder and how it's sort of uh frowned upon and always got something wrong or you know he's got uh body dysmorphia he wants to get big and how you and i just sort of agree well you know you just like looking jacked you just like looking like a a lean uh muscular physique and and in society it's sort of frowned upon you know you got something wrong with you if you're a a gym junkie you know trying to get um you know jacked off your head (laughs) training sort of six or seven days a week you know it's uh it's funny how it's perceived in, in society the, the issue that you get is, uh, and this comes, uh, where do we start with this one? Health is, health is defined as the absence of disease, right? That's the actual legal definition of it. It's not abundant energy, great body composition, blah, blah, blah. It is the absence of disease. Disease is measuring outside the clinical range. The clinical range is defined by what 95% of the people measured happen to measure. The 95% or all of the people who are measured are always sick people because they don't tend to measure people who are already athletes or well or anything else like that. So Mm. the definition of health in our society is measuring the same as 95% of sick people. Now, anything that you do to make yourself unlike 95% of sick people is considered a risk to your health. (laughs) And that is why doctors frown upon this sort of stuff. Uh, the, the definition of an intervention basically is any deliberate action taken for uh, a, a, a goal outcome, um, which means that if you happen to randomly eat steak and rice and chicken and veggies and, and nuts and eggs and protein shake and all the rest of it, that is no problem whatsoever. You're eating very, very well. If you happen to know that that is 3,500 calories at 40% protein, 40% carb, 20% fat, now it's an intervention, now it's a risk to your health, now you're going to die because of it. <laughs> and you guys know what I'm talking about. You go to the doctor and they're like, what are you eating? You go, I'll eat this. And it's go, oh, oh your yeah. liver and your kidney is going to fall apart. And, yep, yeah, uh, yep. You've got to stop eating like that. And you've got to stop your training and it's going to kill you. Of course it's not, you idiot. An interesting point there, Damon. Like we, we talk about, um, I know you, we don't have time today. We might get you on again to talk about the... Uh, hormone replacement therapy and blood chemistry that you run through Recomp for your clients. But, you know, even your blood markers, like you say, are based on a 95% population. Absolutely. You know, like liver values will come like a bodybuilding when I break your muscle tissue down, alkaline yeah. phosphatase or ALT, AST, they're all ALT, elevated. Yeah. You buy the muscles as part of the normal process, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the doctor will be, oh, you better stop what you're doing. Your, your, your yeah. liver's, liver's inflamed. When in actual fact, it's a, it's a, it's a healthy healthy uh, liver uh, according to what you're actually doing. Absolutely, and, and so many more markers. You know, when, yeah. when we're looking at a person's urea level, for instance, it's yeah. urea is a byproduct of protein metabolism. If you've got the same protein metabolism as the regular person, yeah. you are not eating enough protein. 
Exactly. So we like to see all of our clients, their urea level should be somewhere around about 10, 11 mark, top of the range is eight. Yes. Um, most doctors would see that and go, you've got kidney disease. Yes. 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 Protein. Fascinating. Yeah. And, and so Damon, just to, I'm curious when you're saying you, you set that end goal and determine how much muscle mass you want to put on and you can you make some predictions in terms of strength gains mm. so you've actually got correlations between how much strength a person can put on and how much muscle mass that equates to and, and how do you factor that that in with the neural adaptations to lifting heavy loads yes we do um and and that's what we base everything on again it's more a case of uh are the numbers accurate no they couldn't possibly be they can't possibly be because it's impossible to consistently extract 100% of a person's capability in yes. an initial test. Yes, yes, and that's yes. what you mean about the neural adaptation and all the rest of it. Yeah. The, the thing though is, is that we want to put a number to it. We want to put some kind of goal mm. in mind that this is what we're training for. As you go through your training, we then refine the goal by updating the current strength values and the remainder of the muscle that needs to be gained. And it means that you're fine-tuning the goal as you go along. Um, the thing about having goal strength is, I mean, in, in a broad sense, it's in a ballpark of about 50 kilos on your deadlift per 10 kilos of lean mass. So if you're doing, if you're 90 kilos doing a 240 kilo deadlift and you want to be 100 kilos, same body fat, then that's going to take you up somewhere around the sort of 330 kilo deadlift mark. And if you think of a you know, nationally ranked powerlifter slash bodybuilder, around 90 kilos doing probably about a 240 odd deadlift, going to 100, that'll be about the, uh, the sorry, if he's doing 240 deadlift, 10 kilos of lean mass to 100 kilos, we'll put him around the, the 280, 90 mark, yep. 110 kilos will be around that 330 mark. And you kind of look at what people are lifting in those weight classes and you go, yeah, that's, that's, that's not too right. far off. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so, it doesn't matter whether it's exactly right or wrong because the thing is, is that if, if we stick 50 kilos on your deadlift or 100 kilos on your deadlift as you're building up, there's two possibilities. Either you gain more than 20 kilos of muscle, which means that you're leaner than you predicted to be at the same body weight, yep. and I've never seen a person bothered by that one, <laughs> or you've still got a few kilos of muscle to go, but you're going to have to be a lion, you know, the lion's share of that must have been done. And I've never seen anyone really bothered. They've only gained 17 kilos of muscle, not quite the 20. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Damon. And while you are talking about numbers there, for our listeners, I mean, I've obviously met you and you're certainly a walking portrayal of, uh, you know, uh, elite physical uh, uh, presence. I mean, you're in awesome shape. Um, back you. Back in your... Uh, Don't feel or, it. <laughs> but um, just some numbers thrown around. I think you, you got a 300 plus, I mean, the three lift squat bench deadlift. You got some uh, decent numbers there, yeah? Uh, yeah, PB, I've always lifted raw. Sorry, I did, I did a couple of um, uh, pro bench comps. Bench is my worst exercise, but I pro benched in a shirt because my pec was uh, not healthy. Yep, um, yep. But uh, raw... 190 bench for two reps, uh, yep. 300 squat, 340 deadlift, um, gym lifts. <laughs> yes. Um, three thirty-two and a half. I lifted when I was uh, 19, actually, and uh, cool. that still stands as an all-time Australian record in the in the junior um, records. Um, there's a world record in there somewhere as well. Awesome. Um, yeah, those are some of the numbers. And, so. And you work with your brother down at Recomp too, yeah? 
Yeah, and, and he's, he's... He's a strong just, dude as well, yeah? He's just ridiculously strong. He's, he's pulled a, a very ugly, hitchy, um, you know, gym 320 deadlift, but at 83 kilo body weight. So, cool. uh, yes. you know, on, on a ratio, he's, he's even stronger than I am. Yeah. Uh, I've been blessed with obscenely long arms, which means that I'm crap at bench press, but I can pick a bar up off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> That's my contribution to society. Nice. <laughs> Damon, if, if people want to learn more about Recomp and what you guys do, where's the point of contact? Recomp.com.au. Everything, everything branches off of that. Uh, so Recomp HQ, our place down here, is branches off that site. We've got the Recomp certification. Um, interesting little thing with the certification, by the way. Change in the fitness industry just recently. Fitness Australia came out and said uh, that personal training absolutely does not include sports coaching um, or providing nutritional advice outside of the healthy eating guidelines. Their new insurance partner, Guild, and their old insurance partner, Marsh, and the previous one sports cover mm. do not cover personal trainers for bodybuilding and powerlifting training yes interesting uh recomp uh certification and our and our program we do we specifically cover bodybuilding powerlifting and even yeah. sports nutrition through that program so yes and there's you get insurance through the recomp too correct yeah that's correct yes. um, that's that's the big part of what what we do um excellent but yeah it's an interesting change in the industry where uh trainers are no longer covered for training their clients hard with weights so there's going to be some changes coming coming through the industry soon yeah fascinating well thanks for that damon uh, i look forward to catching up next time you're in sydney as we discussed uh last weekend at the expo and yeah, uh, likewise mate really appreciate your time today and thanks yep. for an insight into recomp thank you for having me it's been a pleasure thanks damon catch you see you later mate cheers bye bye Well, there he was, Damon Hayhow. What a, a fascinating chat. Fascinating. Very passionate man. Very passionate, very jacked. Oh, yes. I guess you can take a, such a strong stance on things when you look like him and yeah, lift like him. You exactly. can say whatever you want. Yes. And that has been another episode of Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast. For injuries. Injuries. Maybe go Have with, some meth. Have some meth, you know. Yes. Uh, you do it in the uh, in the safety and comfort of your own home. So you can remember what meth is, Tom. <laughs> Is that the one where you heat up the bottom but, of the spoon, or no, is that no, no that's, movement? That's another one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movement, elevation, traction, <laughs> heat, and heat, heat, heat. All right. So meth, uh, as opposed to rice, which we uh, used to recommend. Yep. Uh, Intra-workout nutrition. Yeah. Rodan and I both give that the thumbs up. Yep. I think the big thing with that one, mate, we've mentioned this before, is it should be appropriate to the level of in training that you're yeah. doing or how intense you're training. You've got to earn it. Ten to sets it. of two reps. Probably don't need too many uh, aminos yeah. and carbohydrates. Aminos. Yep. That has been the program. Thank you very much for listening. Go to send us an email to podcast at cleanhealth.com.au if you'd like to contribute to the show, if there's anything you want us to talk about. And um, we'll see you again next week. Yep. Yep.